it again, it just really settled in my heart as something that we wouldn't have been able to deal with properly in a two-part sermon. You know, part widows, part elders. So today, uh, the title of today's message is When Leaders Fail. Write that down. When Leaders Fail. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. And as you're looking at it, I want to give you an illustration today from real life, from your generation. I want you to begin to, to put these things in your spirit. When I say, everybody look up at me, please. When I say Jim Baker, what comes to mind? When I say Jimmy Swagger, when I say Ted Haggard, Todd Bentley, Marvin Gorman, what comes to your mind? When I begin to talk to you about men of God that fell from their place of ministry because of sin, what comes to your heart? To me, what comes to my heart is a deep grieving, is a deep pain, because these people to me are not far off, distant people. These are my brothers. These are my relatives in the faith. These are people that are just like me. They started off young. They started off radical. They started off wanting to do everything the right way. But there came a time when they began to make compromises. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in their church? And to see that fall? I mean, just put yourself in their place right now in this church. Could you imagine if one of the elders had to appear here on a Sunday and say, Joe will no longer be with us. We don't know where he is right now. But he's somewhere with another woman. His wife is here. Nancy is here. And we ask you as a congregation to pray for our church and for the Wyrostic family because Joe has turned from the Lord and from his family. I could say names of people that I know personally, but since those were public figures, I'm giving you the names of public people so that this message will be you know, listened to publicly. But I remember being a young man in ministry, just starting off like many of you are right now. And I remember visiting this awesome man of God's ministry and seeing him do all the things that I wanted to do and I just remember this thing stuck in my spirit. We were on his bus, and he would bus in about three to 500 people per service from homeless shelters and uh, the inner cities. And he was just taking me on one of his, like, 20 buses he had, and we were riding around his city. And I just, you know, was hanging out with him. You guys know me. I'm kind of goofy, lighthearted most of the time. So I just said, man, what do you do for fun, man? Like, what, you know, what do you like to do? I like to shark fish in New Orleans. What do you like to do? He said, man, I'm too busy for that. He says, all I do is ministry, man. I'm too busy for that. I said, yeah, but, you know, what do you do with your family? You know, what do you do when you're just, you know, hanging out with your family? Where, where do you all go? What do you do for fun? He says, man, me and my family, we just do ministry. That's all we do together, man. We're radical. And that just stuck in my spirit. I never knew why. But then I called him down to preach for me at an outreach. And, man, he did a great job. A lot of people loved him. He was blessed. 
And he had been born and raised in New Orleans. And so when he came, he sent out a, a, an email, and he said, all my old high school friends, if you all want to meet me here, come and meet me, and, uh, you know, we'll hang out and catch up on old times. He was the quarterback for his uh, church, you know, I mean, for his high school football team. And, and so, you know, nobody really responded to him but his old high school fling, this, this woman. And I remember her showing up to the, the outreach and him saying to me, he said, you know, uh, we're going to go out to this restaurant, and we're supposed to meet some of our other friends. And it just, it just I mean, I was a young man. It didn't even occur to me. He ended up having an affair with that woman, left his church. And I was talking to his wife, and his wife was saying, we don't know where he is. Where is he? Because when I put him on a plane back to his hometown, he went and packed up his bags, and he came right back to New Orleans and left his family. And his wife was saying, where, where is he? Then I remember of another time that I was hosting mission teams. And uh, these young girls had come down from Minnesota. And they were, you know, looking for a job. And they worked at a corner store that was owned by Muslims. And they were doing good there. You know, we would get our, you know, our shrimp poor boys there. And we would hang out. And then one day, they had a friend with them that was, you know, married. She had two children. And, you know, she wanted to to hang out with uh, these girls that were friends with, with, with her. Didn't think much of it. And then within a couple days, I get a call from the husband. And he says, do you know where my wife's at? I said, well, I think she's with the girls at the girls' dorms. And he said, no, they don't know where he, she's at. Long story short, in the little bit of time that she was visiting over that week, she was seduced by one of the Muslims. Not only did she begin to have a sexual affair with him, but she left and went to his country all within seven to ten days. The husband thought that she had had a nervous breakdown. She left her kids. They still did. I still never heard the end of the story. Went on like that for years, not even knowing where she had gone. And she was a leader in her church. What happens when leaders fail? What happens when people we look up to, people that we, 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 we say, I want to be like that. What happens when those people fail? You know what it does? It crushes the church. It hurts people. It breaks people's spirit. The Bible says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. You can follow Ezekiel 33, that when the watchmen don't do their job, the, the innocent people are destroyed. Woe to the shepherds who don't take care of the sheep, who muddy the waters, the prophet said. Now here's the message to you today and all listening online. Is that you're not going to be the one that just sit back and watches others. You are not going to be the one leading. And if you're not careful, you will be the one that falls. You will be the one that's sitting in an office with me or another overseer and witnesses and will be saying to you, hand in your ordination. Step down out of this ministry. We are taking it from here. If you're not careful, we could come to you on the mission field. We could come to you in a campus church on another location and sit down with you. Brother Anthony, other men of God, speaking to your wife, saying... We have to have another elder come and take this person's spot because your husband is left. 
Some of you have already made mistakes in the ministry. I hope that you've learned your lessons. I hope that you've gotten rid of your sin. Because it doesn't go away just because you got married. The church I grew up in had to fire its children's pastor, and it was publicized all over the, uh, the, the secular news because they were doing a child pornography uh, sting, searching IP addresses, and one of them went to the church. To the church. This was in the early days of Internet when they didn't know how to have blockers and things on it. And it went to the church, and it was the children's pastor. At church, viewing child pornography. Could you imagine the reproach that that church faced being in the news? And yet this is not far off from even what goes on in this church. Pornography. Sex outside of marriage. Hidden sin. Hidden addictions. It happens in SUM. Happens with SUM students. We have an SUM student in jail right now because of hidden sin. And when it was exposed, it was so serious, it, it, it put him in jail. When will we learn? When will this congregation learn? We, we don't have enough time to point out everything in other people's lives. That's why those weirdies on the Internet who always have fun pointing out other people's mistakes, that's why you never see them a part of a church. Because they're so self-righteous and conceited, they can't find any other person to work with. Because every other person that you're going to work with in this life is going to have mistakes. And there's not a perfect church. And so I'm not worrying about them out here. I'm, I'm worrying about this. When are we going to get rid of our blemishes? Because you get a certain amount of people together, there's going to start to be a whole bunch of junk in people's lives. And the answer to it isn't for me just to go out there and be by myself somewhere. No, the answer to it is to get a bunch of hurting people together and teach them the Word. And people who fall into sin and fall into sin and teach them how not to fall anymore. Roberts Lairdon wrote a book called God's Generals. One of my favorite all-time books talked about men of God of our 20th century who pioneered Pentecostalism. Smith Wigglesworth, William Seymour, talked about all of these awesome, mighty men and women of God. Catherine Kuhlman, Amy Simple McPherson, William Branham. And in his, in his book, he says some of them fell and they fell hard and they hurt a ton of people. And he said, learn from their mistakes. Learn from their mistakes. About two years after him publishing God's Generals, he was found guilty of a homosexual relationship with his youth pastor. Yeah, I, I could say, well, I'm not a part of any church. Well, well, you know, that's not me. That's not me. I'm so much holier than thou. And just neglect the whole body of Christ and go be on an island somewhere and say, well, I'm holy and rebuke everybody else. No, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at these people as my brothers, as my sisters, 
And if they sin and don't repent, then they aren't my brother and sister. But I'm telling you, just telling everybody they're going to hell is not going to make the difference. You need to learn how a Christian can fall, what a leader falls, and avoid it. Just saying, well, some backslide is not good enough. Just saying, well, that wasn't me. I can point the finger at them. That wasn't me. I'm so much better than that. Well, you don't think they thought that at one time? Listen to Jimmy Swaggart's messages before he fell. He was rebuking Marvin Gorman for his sin. He was publicly rebuking Jim Baker and PTL because of their compromise. There wasn't probably a message he was preaching that didn't rebuke some type of a Catholic doctrine. He was the one of the most boldest preachers of his day. The founder of our school, Chancellor George No, went there. Brother Anthony went there. Sister Melanie went there. They were all students under Jimmy Swaggart. He was radical. He lived holy. He preached a bold gospel. But he fell into sin with a prostitute on airline highway. Because he got so much pointing at other people, so about other people that he stopped checking his own garden. He, start, he, he kept wanting to point out the weeds in everybody else's life, and he wouldn't point out the weeds in his own life. What happens when leaders fall? They hurt people. People are devastated. There are some people today that will never go back to church because of what those people did. There are some people that will never go to church in Colorado because of what Ted Hager did. They were hanging by a thread, and when the man of God fall, fell, that was the excuse they'll have for the rest of their life. Well, he didn't do it. He was a liar. That can't be real. Now, yes, are they going to be held for their own judgment and their own sin? But woe unto that shepherd that caused them to sin. Jesus said, woe unto you who caused these little ones to sin. It would be better for you to take a millstone, hang it around your neck, and go drown yourself in the deepest sea. And in our day and language, it would be for you to cause these kids to sin, these, these children of God in the church to sin, it would be better for you to take a shotgun and blow your head off before you did that. Why? Because hell is for eternity. Hell is for eternity. Now that I've got your attention, it's time to get into this passage. Because you're in training right now. And even the worst of some of your rebukes and some of your shame that you faced was nothing compared to what will happen at the next level if you fall. It's nothing compared to what will happen at the next level if you fall. Some are going to go out and be missionaries. Some are going to go out and plant churches. If you fall at that level, great will be your fall. Great will be your fall. Children's pastors, you fall, great will be your fall. Children in your children's ministry will grow up and say, I knew this person, I knew you, and you backslid and crushed me. That's going to be their testimony. Not that you changed their life, not that you helped them see Christ, but that because you fell, you crushed their faith. You want that on your conscience? You want that on your hands? 
That's why the Bible says don't think many of yourselves to be teachers. That's why this YouTube university and this Google heresy hotline thing they've got going on is so full of the devil. There's no accountability. You don't know who you're receiving information from. You don't know who just sent you that link. You don't know who you're following. It's the blind leading the blind. You think one of your friends knows what they're doing? You don't know what your friend's doing behind their behind closed doors. You think that you're going to find a better church? You leave the church that God puts you in? You have no idea who you're coming under, the mess that their life is. That's why God gave us a church with elders and deacons, a church with godly leadership. That's what Timothy's about. And that's why other people aren't about that. Because they don't want to be held accountable. From the greasy grace folks who just want to show up and perform on a stage or help out. They don't want accountability because there is so much sin in the church today that they don't want to deal with it. Then to the legalizers who always are judgmental, they don't want anybody judging them and getting into their life because they know they are just as jacked up as everybody else. And the way they hide it is by pointing fingers. They don't want to talk about their marriage. They don't want to talk about what they do behind closed doors. They don't want anybody to talk to them about when's the last time they struggled with masturbation or last time they lied or the last time they acted out of anger towards their children. They don't want their wives to be accountable to other women so that their wife exposes the man that that is at home. Whether it's the greasy grace folks or the legalizers, people run from this church that Paul is talking about. People run from this church. But then there's another group of people that run to this church because they see it as the only safe place. This is as good as it gets upon this planet is a group of people that are hurting. The Corinthian church, were they jacked up? Did they have people in their congregation? Yes, that were sinful, that needed to be, uh, the yeast needed to be removed. Did they have people getting drunk? But nonetheless, it was a church. He starts off his letter, he says, you know, you're God's people. You lack nothing. But let's get it right. And that's what I'm here to do, is to be like Paul, is to say to a church, Metro Praise, and to a generation, we're going to set this thing in order. We're going to establish sound doctrine. We may not agree upon every jot and tittle of this Bible, but I will agree to disagree on those things, but only agree, uh, uh, only fellowship with those who agree upon these handful of truths that define our Christian faith. I have to. If I sat and argued about every jot and tittle of the Scripture, pre-rapture, post-rapture, can you drink, can you not drink, can you watch movies, not watch movies, can women wear makeup, can women be elders? If I fought with all the churches that disagreed on those things, I would never pastor a church. And then I have to uphold a standard of character in this church. Doctrine and character. Doctrine and and character. Now I have to hold up a certain standard of, of, doc, of character. Some of them are obvious. You know, don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet. Don't be bitter. Forgive your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. 
Other things have more of a gray area. Can a Christian watch TV? Can they watch a movie? What type of movie can they watch? What type of books can they read? Can they listen to secular music? Can they dance? What type of dances can they dance? Can the women wear pants? Can the women wear makeup? There's all these things. And we as a church do our best to set up a godly character. And anybody who points the finger at us and says it's not good enough, let me take a half hour to sit on the the toilet and do nothing today and just cause a stink with your church because I'll find 20 things that I don't do that you do. And that's why we as a church have to build a fellowship that says here's the core doctrines. And if you want to be a part of our leadership, then you've got to go beyond that to some of our truths that we really hold on to. And so we have 16, but there's about seven fundamentals of the Christian faith that we see in church history. But there's about 16 things that we see that we're going to hold on to for, for Christian leadership here. If you don't agree with them, that's okay. There's Armitage Baptist over there. We're not fighting against you. You believe that a person can't lose their salvation. A person believes that, that, that speaking in tongues went away. That's okay. Well, there's Moody for you. There's, there's Armitage. But we're going to ask our leaders to believe this. And the same thing with character. Well, we say at certain times you can't listen to secular music. Certain times you can't. We try to teach you to know when and where and how. Certain movies you can watch. Certain movies you can't watch. Certain things women can wear, certain things women can't wear. We try to help you navigate through your life. And then we come up with a general consensus among our elders here. And we say, this is what we consider godly character. Now, of course, there's just probably about ten things in there that are non-compromising. And once again, you want to go to a church where women can't cut their hair? Well, then fine. Go right down the road and be a part of a church where women don't cut their hair and wear makeup. That's fine. You want to be a part of a church that doesn't listen to secular music? That's fine. Find a church that does it. You want to find a church that doesn't watch movies throughout their television? That's fine. But this is where we find that balance. And that's how, that's how the body of Christ is. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying be an example in your doctrine. Be an example in your character. And we have to have a system, a way of doing this. And as it says in First uh, Timothy chapter 3, we've already been through it, elders and deacons. Those are non-compromising. You can't be a drunkard. You've you got to be the husband of one wife. You can't have pl- plurality of wives, polygamy. You can't be an argumentative person fighting all the time. You've got to learn to shut your mouth sometimes and submit and just go forward. You don't know everything. You've got to be able to teach, the Bible says. You've got to be gifted to summarize things and share them. And you've got to be able to serve those who have been here before you. You don't come into a church and try to take over what people have been doing. That's rude and disrespectful, and even Jesus didn't do that. Even Jesus came into synagogues and honored them. And when he trashed the temple, he said, this is my father's house. He took the ownership back. And there's a whole discussion of why he did that, because of how they had violated all those laws. But that was his right. Unless you're God's son, you don't have the right to come into this church and turn it upside down. You are not God's son. Are you listening to me? And so when you're here, you've got that character, and you've got that doctrine, 
you become an elder or a deacon here. And now this passage is speaking to you. Because if you fall, you're going to hurt people. If you go on in ministry with a powder keg, as they taught me, Pastor Sutherland taught me this 14, almost 15 years ago, that if you have a sin in your life and you're not dealing with it now, it's like the cartoon of a powder keg, and, and they poked a hole in it, and there goes down the, uh, the gunpowder, and as you're walking, you're thinking you're fine, and you just keep walking and walking and walking, but you don't know there's a, there's a, there's a trail of gunpowder following you. And you know what the devil does? Because he's so strategic. He doesn't want to light it now. You only take down two or three people with you. He wants to give you about five years of that trail so you get to that highest position where the biggest bang knocks out the most people. Because some of you are single now, struggling with pornography. He's going to keep letting you deal with it until it breaks down. When you're married, it destroys your wife and the kids you have. He wants you to wait until you've got 100 people in your youth group, 200 people to your church. He wants to wait until there's something to actually blow up. And he strikes that match and says, now everybody look at them. See, God, you said this was your son. See, God, you built this church. See, God, this is your pastor. Now everybody watch him. Watch him fall. Watch him fall. Say, Pastor, well, what do I do? I got mistakes. I got things I'm working on. Do it the way the Bible teaches you. Do it the way we're teaching you. We have accountability here for a reason. You have prayer journals for a reason. You get SOA evaluations for a reason. How can anybody be having hidden sin here? How can anybody have hidden sin here? You are a fool if you have hidden sin in this ministry. You have every potential to deal with it when the temptation is there. We've made every possible way for you. There's no excuse for hidden sin here. You have accountability partners you can go to every day if you need to. And if your accountability partner is just as jacked up as you are, we'll get you a new accountability partner. Because there's a brother with you. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain said when God asked him, where's your brother after he murdered him? The obvious answer was yes. Carry each other's burdens, the Bible says. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That mourning is just not when you've lost a loved one. That mourning is when you're grieving over your sin. Because the Bible says godly sorrow brings forth repentance. And that repentance brings forth life. The Bible says in James, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Confess your sin. When it's habitual and when there's not a break in it, you confess it to me and to my wife. And then we counsel you. And then you listen to the counsel. You don't make excuses for yourself. You don't say, well, they don't know what they're talking about. You don't then try to point out our faults and teach the teacher. You take our counsel and you do it the right way because we have raised up more women and men of God than you ever have. We know what we're doing. You're not the first person I've given that advice to, brother. Humble 
yourself. You are not the first person, sister, to receive that advice. Most of it, if not all of it, is word for word the advice that has been being passed down from generation to generation. There are things that Papa Logan said to Brother Anthony that I say, that it was said to me, that I say to you, that are word for word. Word for word. Young men, stay holy. Keep your pants on. Look ahead. Not to the left or to the right. Women, do not be busybodies. Do not be gossips. Do not be lascivious. Do not provoke men to lust. Don't be gossips. This is word for word. Pass on down the line. There's no excuse. This is not a place for you to continue in sin. Bible college is a place to overcome sin and be a leader to go out there and change the world. And it's not some romantic idea like you're going to show up on the shores of Ghana, West Africa, and everybody's just going to love you and just look past all your faults. This is not some little romantic idea of preaching on the streets to sinners and they have miraculous conversions, but your life is messed up. You're a hypocrite. This is not that type of Christianity because by doing that, you are only drawing that powder cake trail longer and you will hurt them. You may think you can get away with it now. You may think that they're fun to be with now and they don't mind all of those things. That's because they haven't become disciples yet and they haven't started looking up to you. When you get enough of them around you, they will care about your character. They will care about how you live. They're going to care about whether or not you're living what you're preaching. Let's prepare ourselves for this word now. Jesus, let us hear what you're saying to the church. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses, those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality, to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illness. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. The first thing that we learn in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, is that there is a double honor we give elders who do well their job. The first honor is we love and respect them and we hear what they say. We let them teach us and spiritually we honor them with our hearts of servanthood to what they are saying. 
And then secondly, we honor them with our substance. We give to them the tithe of our income, the portion of our earnings, and we give it to them so that they can preach and pastor. That's what we've been doing before you got here. We're going to be doing it after you leave here. That is how God teaches us to honor men and women of God. One day, people will be giving their tithe to provide for your living. Some of you are going to make a living off the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're not careful, you'll become greedy and you'll want more and more and more. Or what you have, you won't live right with it. When the church gives into these offering buckets, they are saying, Pastor, I trust you what you do with it. Now, we have accountability with our elders, both uh, in this church locally and outside of this church. And the accountant is even coming today that oversees our accountant. We take that seriously. That's why when those of you get the responsibility to have a church card or you take receipts, that's why there's a paper trail. That's why you get rebuked when you don't handle the church's money correctly, when you lose a receipt or you don't keep your gas miles and you're asking for it to be reimbursed. It's because we're saying we want to do this to the best of our ability. We don't want any reproach against us to what God's people have given. And every dollar and cent is accounted for in our yearly reports. Every dollar and every cent. And when the accountant came, because I was starting a new relationship with him, he looked at our reports. He says, you have more than even what is required by the government. And what you have is very impressive. I have every receipt still stored away in boxes from the very first day we, we had this church. And I was spending my own savings in the church account. I took my savings and put it in the church, and that became God's sacred money. I have the receipts of that first purchase today. I have it right now. Because this is not a game to me. And I'm not just asking God for tens of thousands. And I'm not just asking God for millions. I have a hundred million dollar vision in my soul. And Nancy has heard it as long as I've been saying a hundred thousand. What do you think a hundred thousand disciples look like financially? That's a hundred million. That's a hundred million dollar a year budget. Right now, there's people that are awfully close to that. Joyce Myers is real close to that. Joel Osteen is real close to that. Rick Warren, there are people who make close to that right now for Jesus. I know it can be done. And when we come to that place, we will say, here's still our first receipt. We were accountable to this. So I say this to you, that you can trust what you give to me as the elder who does receive a place in this church to receive finances. And then I can say back to you that if you follow what we teach you here, if you are responsible, if you live according to the laws of the land, if you do the things that we teach you to do, we will stand before your congregations. We will stand before the other Metro Praise facilities like a doubtful Lord willing in, in 2012, and we will say you can trust him. You can give your tithe here. You can trust him. 
Amen. And that's between God and those elders in that church. What that salary is. Somebody has asked me, Pastor, do you have a problem with a pastor making a million dollars? Absolutely not. I don't have a problem with a pastor making a billion dollars. It doesn't matter to me the amount. The point is, did that church approve of it? And is he spending it responsibly? Otherwise, it's none of my business. It's none of my business. Do you understand? The group of elders here and my elder give me a salary. You know what it is. But you're not to judge me. Well, I don't think he should make that much. Well, that's what my elder says I should make. And that's what the elders that we've appointed here that work among us as governing elders agree with. That is what it is. That's how we believe those numbers are decided. You understand? The elders over us and the elders around us set those numbers. And we live by it. And by the way, personally for this church, this church set a salary for me for around $36,000 a year. And has never paid it even once. The most it ever did was before we started SUM, we started doing a housing allowance from the church. So I have in paperwork a back salary owed to me of somewhere close to $200,000. SUM pays me right now. SUM, are you listening to me? Because I went back to school and earned a master's degree and then have made a Bible college here. And what you guys give through that pays me right now. But yet the church still doesn't give the salary that it could give to me. And one day it will. And one day it will pay it back and I'll just give it back. They'll say, no, Pastor, we insist. And I'll say, no, I insist. And they'll say, no, really, we insist. And I'll say, no, I insist. And then we'll have to arm wrestle. And then I'll lose. And then I'll still say, I'm the pastor, I insist. That's how it works, because I want to be blessed to be a blessing. I want what I have to touch the world. That's why right now SUM gave me a new position. They said, if you oversee our cohorts, and right now by God's grace, we may start one in Faith World. I'm meeting with a Church of God one tomorrow, Pastor Holt's recommendation, and then Pastor Eddie's flying with us to Mardi Gras. So we may start three here, and I'll be at Kenosha tomorrow. So four just in my region that I'm all connected to. And they said, Pastor, we're going to give this to you. And already I'm taking a portion of that and giving that to Cynthia so that we can have a ministrator. That would be no different than you working at McDonald's, making $2,000 a month, and then you saying to somebody else, I'm going to give you 1000 to do this. That's what I'm doing. Why? Because the church is still paying a lot on rent. The church is still paying a lot on what we have to do in ministry with vans and all the things we offer, which is ten times beyond the size of this congregation. There was a woman last night that came to the small group as a result of us handing out brochures because we have transportation, and the church she goes to doesn't have transportation. And it's about ten times our size, a church of well over 5,000, but doesn't have the transportation for her. She says, I'm looking for a church. Now that's by me because it's too far for me to take buses out there. I'm not judging that other church. I'm just telling you the things that we do and the size that we have is where that money is going. We could do a lot less and I could make a lot more, but God did not give me permission to do that. I'm giving it back to this church. Amen. So that's how we do it, and I believe you will do that as well. The scripture where it says, do not muzzle out the ox while it is treading grain comes from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, talks about in the, uh, the laws that when you have an animal, this is part of that 613 laws we talked about yesterday in Sunday church. One of the laws is don't muzzle an ox, because if you do, he'll get tired and die. So when he's working, give him something to eat. The muzzle kept his mouth closed. He couldn't eat or drink. So Paul uses this and says, hey, your elders are working. 
take off the muzzle. Let him eat and drink. He'll work longer for you. And that's why some of the leaders got a video from other churches that I want you to learn from that have thousands. And that's where we're going is how to take care of Nancy and I. If I don't take a family day, I won't be any good to you on this day. If I don't have a home to live in and food to eat, then I won't be any good to you on Sunday. And like I said, the amount of the house I live in and the amount that I make is between me and the other elders that are appointed over this church. And so I believe that for you, you will be an ox one day. And you will be getting tired. And one day you're going to have to say to people that love you, I'm sorry, man, I need to stay home today and be with my family. And they may not understand at first until they watch a video of me preaching a message like this. Then they may say, oh, now I get it. Because some of you have come into my journey at six years in this thing. I've got gray hair that you never saw me get. You didn't see me at the beginning of the journey. Some of you did. Some of you were with me like Adam when we did everything together. Whenever after a youth service, we were at the church breaking dawn with the after party to at least 1, 2 o'clock every morning. Some of you weren't here when we first started the church. Like Jessica and Salvador and Monica and, Mont- and David Montes and all of them were. Where after every service, it was fellowship at the pastor's house. After every service, it was let's go to the pastor's house and hang out. And just like that, when you are at that place, people aren't going to have seen your journey. They're going to say, why are we just feeding the ox? I don't hang out with the ox. I, I give my tithes here. I want to hang out with the ox. It's not for you to do. Let the ox be. Let the ox work. There's other little oxes you can hang out with. But this ox needs to work. This ox needs to do what God's called it to do. And it's not a click. It's just what God ordained. Everybody couldn't be Moses' BFF. Everybody couldn't be Jesus' BFF. That's why he picked 12. And that's why for some of you are here and you get to be a part of chapels where I speak every week, be honored. Because Lord willing, starting next year, everybody who joins at that point is not going to hear me speak at every chapel. Because there's going to be other leaders that are going to start speaking with me on staff. Because that's how a church grows. That's how a church grows, guys. Amen? So the next scripture is, uh, which is beautiful, which actually says that a a worker is worthy of his hire, actually comes from the book of Luke. And we believe that this is Paul's way, because it says scripture, we believe that this is Paul's way of affirming that the gospel of Luke was already considered scripture. And that scripture is here, if I can get it here, Luke 10, 7, when Jesus is talking about the time when um, Luke 10, said, it just slipped my mind what it was about. I apologize. Let's turn to Luke 7 and, and then remind me. Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Let's look there just for the context so I can show it to you. What he was talking about was when you travel, that when you go to people's homes, it's good if they want to give you finances to help you to continue traveling, and if they want to give you food to receive the food, and if they reject you to knock the dust off your feet. That was the context. And so the beauty of this is, is that Paul saying in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Scripture says, don't muzzle the ox. He's quoting Deuteronomy, which they already knew as Scripture. And then he says, the worker is worthy of his hire. That means Paul already considered Luke to be Scripture and was now teaching it as Scripture. Isn't that awesome? And 
And that would be easy for him because Luke was his traveling companion. But that just shows you how Scripture was already being developed and how great it was already being taken among the body of believers. Now you get to the protocol of how to actually rebuke an elder. Verse 19, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. So we do not believe in this church, nor do I believe it was in this body of believers that you could go up and personally rebuke an elder. Shame on anybody who thinks they can do that. Shame on them. Shame on them. Defriend people who treat people like that. Get rid of those people from your Facebooks. Stop hanging out with them at coffee shops. Stay away from those who cause divisions, Titus says. Mark those who cause divisions among you. If people think they have the right to rebuke elders and they themselves are not an elder, they are a blemish to the body of Christ. They are a cloud without rain. They are a false teacher. The Bible has set up a structure of how to rebuke one another. Friends rebuking friends in Matthew 18. If you're with your brother and he sins against you, the elder here is not that brother. The elder has a different protocol. That's why it says two or three witnesses. This is not the protocol of Matthew 18. Matthew 18 doesn't say start ground level one with witnesses. Matthew 18 says go to them first privately. Then if they don't listen, then you bring another person with them. And then if they still don't listen, tell it to the church. That is not at all what it's saying here to do with elders. The first thing is, is you gather witnesses. And so what that means is, is that you find reliable witnesses in the body of Christ that can attest and defend what you're saying. We have all of our uh, people joining 201, which is our leadership class, sign a problem-solving contract as well as joining SUM. And that means... How you deal with people is according to Matthew 18. How you deal with your elders is according to 1 Timothy 5. And this is simply how it works. You have Timothy. He's over these elders. And then you have the people that they're over. If one of these people gets hurt by these elders, and I summarize it in three things. You can find it throughout the Bible. Number one, they're dealing with finances. It's corrupt. It's greedy. Number two, their teachings, their doctrines, they're corrupt and they're false teachers. Or number three, their character and integrity, it violates what they said that they would stand up for. When those things happen and you see it, you are to go to other elders and deacons and say, this is what I have saw. This is what I have heard. This is what I have witnessed. Will you be a witness with me? As I bring the charge against this elder. Are you listening to me? So that means in this church we have elders and we have deacons. If you're not an elder or a deacon and you see an elder or a deacon sin with their money, they lie, they're greedy, it's misappropriated. You see them teach something that that is false doctrine or you see their character is corrupt. You go to another elder and deacon and you say, listen, I heard this person cursing. I saw this person fornicating or I heard that they were starting a relationship with a non-believer or I heard them say that Jesus was a second created being. You go to one of the people in the leadership and they become your witness. 
How do I know that? Because how else do I have a reliable witness in a church unless it's somebody that is trustworthy in that church? You go to that witness, and then that witness hears your complaint and says, okay, if you're a person of good character, and now I know you, and I don't see why you would lie about such and such, elder. And I don't see you being corrupt. And, I'd, and I'll take that charge with you. Now what happens is Timothy, the one who's over those elders, is to be in a meeting when those witnesses come with that elder present. And now the one who saw it affirms it, assess it. The one who came in there with them as their witness. Another one of the leaders says, I don't doubt this person. And now the elder receives the charge with the Timothy there present. So that would be if you would have something against one of our elders or deacons. You now have set up a meeting. I am there as the head overseer, as Timothy was the head overseer. I am there. That elder or deacon is there. You are there. And another elder or deacon who has verified your testimony that you are trustworthy is there. Do you see how serious this is? This is not a Matthew 18 order. This is an ecclesiastical order in Timothy. It's not the same process. And then what do you do? You bring up your accusation. Well, I have, I have heard this person deny the deity of Jesus Christ. And then with me there, is that true? Is that true? Did you do that, sir? If they do that, we're then supposed to take them in front of the church and say, Brother so-and-so has denied the lordship of Jesus Christ. They are no longer an elder here, and we rebuke them now. We pray that they will change their ways. Elder so-and-so has been found guilty of sex outside of his marriage or her marriage. So-and-so has been involved in pornography. We rebuke them. Maybe if there's redemption, that elder will come and publicly confess and now say, I, I'm, I'm wrong, I've been found out. But that is the, the process. And that's the way it works. So you say, Pastor, how would we do that with you? It would work the same way. You go to another elder or deacon here, and then the person overseeing me is my elder, Brother Anthony. He sits in that meeting as you bring a charge against me with a trusted elder or deacon that verifies that. That's the way it's supposed to work. And I guarantee you, in a church that's already been established upon this principle, it will work every time. You might say, well, Pastor, what if, what, what if somebody touched me or did something and nobody else knows? When you go to our elders and deacon, God will give them a spirit of discernment inside with you, especially if it has something to do with that. Now let's take it off of you. Let's put it, you are now the elder. You are now the one that somebody has a charge against you. I've been over to so-and-so's house, and when I was doing something on the computer, a page came up of pornography, and it looked like they were already logged in. I was at so-and-so's house, and I could see that his wife was downcast. And you maybe you're a lady, and I talked to the wife, and she said that my husband abuses me, puts me down, and I don't know what to do. Pastors' wives have confessed that their own husbands have put them down and abused them. Or maybe you're a woman in the ministry, and somebody accuses you and says, 
when I keep telling this person it's private, but they keep gossiping to everybody, and partly of it, it's not even true. What do you do when it's you? I want you to think that out right now. Why do I want you to put, play that over in your head? Because I don't want you to ever live it out. I don't want there to be any ambiguity to you in your mind what happens. And then I'm called in. Is this true? Is what so-and-so is saying about you? Is this true? Have you fornicated? Did you make a come on? Did you make a pass to this young girl, 16 years old in your youth group? She's accusing you, youth pastor, of coming on to her, taking her home at night. Is this true? Is this true that somebody from outside of our church is coming to us with pictures of you having sex in a bathroom? It's happened. It's happened. It's happened. Don't smile. Don't think it's funny. It's happened. People have lost their mind and lived a double life, and people have found out through pictures who their husband or wife was. And then you see yourself on TV if you're big enough. And you watch those videos with Ted Haggard. Ted Haggard, we got the answer machine from the gay prostitute. The message from the gay prostitute saying that he knows you. He knows where you live. He's got your personal cell phone number. How is that, Ted? How is that? You think Ted? You think Ted Haggard started off in Bible college saying, well, let me... Let me draw out my 30-year plan for ministry. I'm going to work my guts out for the first 28 years. For the first year of my church, I'm going to circle every name in my county's telephone book, and I'm going to call each one of them. Do you know that's what he did? Circled every name in his telephone book in his county and called every single one of them. Do you think he said, after I start off my year, uh, in my first year doing this, and then my second year of global missions, and my third year of this, do you think he said, here's what I'm going to do. The grand finale, my 28th, 29th, and 30th year of ministry, I'm going to give in to a temptation I've had since high school, and I'm going to deal with my depression and anxiety of all the pressure of the church, and I'm going to start taking speed, and I'm going to be a homosexual on the side. Do you think he said that, or do you think he had a goofy smile on his face like you do right now, thinking it won't happen to me? What do you think he thought to himself? He said, that's not me. He said, oh, that's not going to, that, that won't be me. I won't be that person. I won't shame my wife. I won't shame my children. Somebody get me a water, please. Should have already been here. I won't shame my kids. He didn't think to himself, I'll be that person. You think of David. You think David started off as a young man? I'm going to find myself faithful in the times of valleys and hard times. And I'm going to be faithful to worshiping God and my harp and lyre out here while I watch sheep. And I'm going to start off my first years in ministry just between me and God. And I'm going to make songs to him and then I'm going to have a victory of slaying a giant 
And then I'm going to have mighty men follow me. Thank you. And I'm going to have mighty men follow me. And I'm going to become a great king. All just so when I get the kingdom, I can become an adulterer and a liar and murder one of my own generals. You think he thought that? You think he thought that? You think he thought to himself, I'm going to become so wicked, I will murder one of my own men. And you wonder why we're tough on your sin. And you wonder why we're tough on your attitude. And you wonder why we're tough on your arrogance. And why we're tired of making little 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 steps around certain rules for you. We're not bending any more rules for you. We're not bending them. Stop asking us. We're not bending those rules. Those are basic. We're not giving you permission to go to each other's dorms. We're not allowing you to stay out past curfew because so-and-so has a birthday party. It's time for you to honor God. Uzzah touched the ark as it stumbled because of David's stupidity, and he died. David's stupidity as a leader caused an innocent man to die. We will not allow you to start bending rules, finding little ways around things, making little excuses. And you hurt innocent people along the way because you didn't learn integrity. You look at me. I have three-piece suits in my, 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 my closet right now. I could have this man stand up here and hold a bottle of water and dip it into my mouth if I wanted to. I could be just as arrogant as any person you think is out there right now. But just because I put on sweat clothes and I give you my cell phone number does not give you the right to disrespect what God has done in my life. Because listen to me, you're still a spiritual babe in pampers until you get out of this thing and prove it to me for 10 years in ministry. Then I'll let you have a conversation. Imano, Imano. And I guarantee you, when your prideful, arrogant self has made it through 10 Years of ministry. You will sit at a table across from me like I did with Brother Anthony, a tear coming down your eye, and you'll say, Pastor, I love you so much. Thank you for being my friend. I don't have anything to say. Just talk to me. So get rid of your arrogance. Get rid of your pride. Get rid of compromise and a little folding of the hands. A little laying down your head to rest. And the Bible says poverty will come on you like an armed man. Before you know it, you'll be in a stick-up. Poverty will say stick them up. You will have to give way to all that sin you've been putting up with. Sin will be your master and say bow down before me. 
Stop praying. Stop worshiping. Stop preaching. Stop sacrificing. And poverty and compromise will take over your life like an armed man. It will tie you up. And you'll be looking back saying, when was the last time I spent an hour alone with God? When was the last time I wept for the lost? When was the last time I was broken for my sin? And you won't be able to remember it because you become so lazy. I'm not here because I'm so gifted. I'm not here because I can out-preach most preachers. What they call preaching, I call, what I, I call lunch after church. I'm not here because I do that. I'm not here because I'm good looking, because I can smile. I'm not, I'm here because I made it and other people didn't. I'm here because God had an army of people in Chicago that done should have got this thing over a long time ago. But they failed. We're starting Metro Praises because people stopped starting the churches God wanted. And I'm not saying we're the only one. That's why I qualify every statement. Because you won't be a Metro Praiseite persecuting all the other churches like these weirdies on the Internet. Listen to me. The reason why we're starting Metro Praises is because the churches that were being started were so backslidden and weak. God said, son, will you take the baton now? I would have been a part of somebody. I would have been a part of three or four movements by now if they would have had it right. I tried to join myself to at least three. At least. That's just not what we do, brother. Oh, okay, we used to do that, but we don't do that. I'm telling you right now. I used to ask myself, why in the world did God, I mean, God, look at this map. I'm in Midwest cornfields of Fort Wayne. Why in the world did you bring me all the way down to New Orleans in an African-American community? Because they had failed and dropped the ball. And God said, I'm just still, I'm just still dialing numbers. I'm still dialing numbers. I'm still dialing. I'm still calling. I'm still calling. Who will pick up the phone? Who will stop playing the video games? Who will pick up the phone? I just picked it up and God said, okay, you picked it up. Good. Go down to New Orleans and preach down there. I can't get them to do it. These preachers are just pimps in the pulpit. You go down there and preach to them. That's why I've said to you guys, it's not my fault this is the first time you heard this. It's not my fault. It's not my fault if you went to another church, they told you something different. I just decided to pick up the baton and run. Amen? The Bible says those who sin are to be rebuked publicly. So that others are to take warning. How many more do you need to see fall before you take warning? Will you do me a favor, Nancy? Shut off the heat. How many do you need to fall before you take warning? What, Todd Bentley didn't have enough tattoos and piercings for you? You want to see another young guy fall? What, Jimmy Swagger didn't have enough money for you? You think you'll get enough money and nobody will care? I mean, come on, how many do you want to see fall? How many, how many more do we need to see? Ted Haggard, was it nice enough for you? Ted Haggard was one of the nicest guys out there. Some would have might even called him a secret-sensitive guy. How many more do you want to see fall? Before you and I just say, I take warning. I'm not going to fall. I'm talking to Chancellor right now. And this is like... This is like the introduction to Chancellor's messages right now in a lot of ways.
Chancellor is so sick of what he's seeing come into that school. He's saying to me, I don't know what churches are doing anymore. He said, it was one thing when you guys would come, you know, you guys would come with, you know, your, your pride, your, you know, your foolishness. He says, I'm dealing with guys hiding homosexuality. He says, I got people on the phone tweeting in the middle of messages. He said, there ain't even a reverence anymore. And I said, you're not alone. I said, one of ours just went to jail. Jail. He's been so busy, he hasn't even heard about it. It's being handled by the disciplinary committee. He didn't even know somebody from the Chicago court. It's in jail. And he just goes, that's what I'm talking about. He said, this generation is so perverse. This generation is so violent. This generation is so just prideful. They can't even stop to learn one thing. Before, when you had people doing apologetic ministries, at least they went to seminar, uh, seminaries and they were studied and they were well, you know. You know, Dr. Martin, Walter Martin would backhand all these YouTubers. He would, Dr. Martin, Walter Martin would slap them upside their prideful head and say, shut up. You're not helping. You're hurting. You're so arrogant. Walter Martin came to my hometown to a non-denominational tongue-talking church and just loved people and talked about cults and talked about the heirs of different movements. And now we got these young adults, especially in this hip-hop movement, watching a Paul Washer video, watching some John Piper video, a Mark Driscoll video, and just causing havoc all over the Internet to young believers. I guarantee you none of those people know those leaders. And if they did, those leaders would put a stop to their arrogance and their stupidity. And I'm talking to more and more and more and more and more pastors right now. And we're sick of it. We're sick of this generation's arrogance. You think you're causing a reformation with your arrogance. You are causing a defamation. You are, def- you are defaming, defaming, taking away the fame of God. So it's greasy grace, folks, and legalizers alike. And that's why that message is still in my heart today. Get a clue. Submit to authority. Get out of your junk. Have a humble attitude. Get rid of your arrogance. Submit yourself to Christ. Let's continue reading. He says, I charge you. Look at how he defines this charge. I charge you in the sight of God, of Christ Jesus, Elect angels to keep these instructions. And do nothing without partiality. Do nothing out of favoritism. I will rebuke the millionaire just like I will rebuke homeless Joe. You could say one thing about Pastor, but he definitely does not have a favoritism when it comes to rebuking. Check, he's done that. We've had elders in this church be publicly rebuked when they fell into sin. And you know who they are because they were publicly rebuked. Don't you change that. I don't care if somebody in your ministry pays all of your bills and you appoint them to be a leader. They mess up, you rebuke them, and you sit them down. And I don't care if your church, your Metro Praise Campus gets to 30,000 and we're still at 10,000. You sin, Mr. Big Britches. We're taking you out. 
And that's why every Metro Praise is owned by Metro Praise. You don't own that. You are there as a servant. And if I can, at one point, I will give the ownership over to an apostolic elder form so even myself can't bring this thing down. You understand? This is what the Bible's talking about, friends. Don't do it with favoritism. Don't don't just say, well, you know, so-and-so meant better. Well, you know, maybe they didn't mean it that way. Do you know that when we lose an SUM student... Do you know that we possibly lose $30,000, their tuition, which is what it costs to go to SUM? My wife and I, when an SUM student walks right out these doors, my wife and I just took an $1,800 pay cut. That when we started off the year, we said, this is our budget. This is what I can afford. This is what I can buy. And then when an SUM student walks away, there just goes $1,800. But do you think I'm going to have a favorite when it comes to people living in sin? I'll go back to living in this one-bedroom apartment with one student before we compromise that. And I'll tell you what, there's 100,000 for us here in Jesus' name. I'm not the first one to preach a tight but right gospel, and God will bless it because he has always blessed it. So don't feel sorry for me. I'm not living on Homeless Alley next to Barely Get Along Street. God is blessing me, and he's sending people like yourself. But I'm telling you, we're not going to play games with you. There was a time when some of you were confessing on the side. Well, you know, I kind of cheated on this test. and You know, I I didn't really do the right thing here, and we kind of treated it a little differently. No, it is not that way anymore. You cheat on the test, you're going directly to an SOV evaluation. You do it again. You're put on the the secondary probation. You do it your third year out. And sometimes they skip steps because they say what you do is serious enough. There is no favoritism. It's no, well, Pastor Joe will talk to them for me. So get out all your cheating. You've been cheating on tests. You've been using books when you shouldn't have, shouldn't have been able to. You've been looking on people's notes or, or, or things, and you know what is right and wrong. I'm not going to go through all of that. You know what's right and wrong. Confess it today. Take your licking right now as an honorable man or woman of God. Get rid of your duplicity in Jesus' name. This is what the Bible commands me to do in verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Listen to me. I will share in your mourning. I will share in your joy. I will share in your fights. I will share in your victories. I will not share in your sins. And some of you who are quick for me to lay hands on you, To be appointed to a place of ministry, you need to slow down your role because I am not sure of you yet. Some of you say, Pastor, make me an elder, make me a deacon. Oh, no, 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 no. We haven't labored with you enough yet. Well, Pastor, I won't let you down. Well, you weren't here when the last person told me they wouldn't let me down. Well, Pastor, I'm different. Well, you weren't here when that person said they were different too. Doesn't mean we don't love you. Nobody would be here unless we believed in your call. But before we lay the hand, and this is the hand of ordination, this is the deal where we say you are appointed and anointed now. Before we do that, we're making sure in our covenant, a part of that isn't your sin. We're making sure that when we say you're an elder or a deacon, we're making sure that what we're coveting covenant team, uh, you know, having a covenant, what we're sharing is not sin. It's exactly what it's talking about there. Don't be quick to do that.
Don't be quick to want to become a leader. Be quick to serve God. Be quick to serve. Be quick to preach. Be quick to help out. Be quick to study your Bible. Be quick to fall in love with lost people. You do all of that, you'll be fine. Some of you have already gone on a mission trip. I didn't go on my first mission trip. I hosted over 100, but I didn't go on my first mission trip to two years ago. 32 years old is my first time on the mission field. And some of you are almost looking at me like, Pastor, we deserve to go right from graduation to our destiny. Well, we're doing a lot of things by faith, but if God says it's not the time, it's not the time. Don't come to me like I owe you something. I don't. God grows this ministry. God pays the bills in this ministry. Don't be jealous. Don't be envious. Don't be in a hurry. Just say, God, it's your timing. It's your way. Amen? Then he gives them a command about wine and water. Some people wonder, why in the world is this in here? It's, it almost is like it doesn't fit. I'll tell you why it fits. It's because he's speaking to his son. And he's laying down law. And he's, man, just like Paul, it's just like me, or I'm just like Paul, everyone look at And he's like, do this, this, and this. And hey, by the way, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. And then he just goes on with this stuff. I do that all the time. So many times you and I will be talking. We'll talk about ministry. And I'll just go, well, how's that relationship? Go, oh, we're doing okay. How's your father? Oh, and then we'll go right back into a serious conversation. Paul is reminding us in the middle of this rebuke, it's not only ecclesiastical. It's relational. It's not just this is how we do things protocol. Boom, boom, boom. But this is how we do things. Rel- I care about you, Timothy. Take care of yourself. There's a couple things to note here. Water was good enough to drink. So this idea that people couldn't drink water in that day is a a myth. They had aqueducts in Rome. Water was okay. They also drank wine as a part of their meal. So wine drinking among Christians was okay. The third thing that you learn is that wine was also medicinal, just like how we use it today. So there was three things there. You could drink water. You could drink wine. And he's saying to him, drink more wine now. Because the water is not helping you. And we know that there's medicinal purposes in drinking fermented grape juice. Doctors say if you drink a glass of wine a day, there's benefits from that. Why we today don't allow a sipping saint to be in the church is because our generation doesn't know when to stop sipping. And I'm not going to have that on my conscience. And my sister died drinking and driving, hit a pole going 70 miles an hour. And I don't have enough time to babysit you on that because I can't even babysit the congregation on half the other things. So we just say, just eliminate that out your life. And then lastly, here it says it. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious. Excuse me. Good deeds are obvious. I can't read my thing is locked up. Can somebody read the rest of it out loud, please? Amen. Would you stand to your feet? There we go. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. What's the Bible saying here? Yeah, that some people will hide sin until the last day. Jesus talked about weeds and wheat growing together. Wheat among the tares is what it's known. That there's some people that we may not even know. Can you hold this for me, please? We may not even know. You can just put the cap on and just... You don't have to stand next to me. We may not even know who is really living right until we get to heaven. That's what the Bible's saying. 
But the Bible says those who are living good, even if they try to hide it, it still comes out. And I just want to encourage you with that today. If you're doing good, it will be noticed. It will be seen. You're not doing this for man. You're doing it among men. You're doing it among men that must recognize you, but you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for God. What happens when leaders fall? People get hurt. What happens when leaders stand? People are healed. People are saved. He said in the previous chapter, if you watch your doctrine, if you're, a believe, if you're an example of believers, you'll not only save yourself, you'll save those who hear you. Let that be said of us. Amen. Father, thank you for today's chapel. I know there could be a three-hour altar call, but God, I've taken up all this time. We have to go to class now. I pray if there's, pray if there's any hidden sin, it will be confessed. And Father God, those of us here who have heard this message will never forget it. In Jesus' name, everybody said.